welcome to the last week of teaching for this semester. The fall has really flown by, hasn't it? Yeah, last week I was, um, I was in a meeting and someone in the meeting had said that 2020 felt like it was five years and 2021 feels like it's been five weeks. And I think that's pretty true, at least from my perspective, that's been pretty true. It's gone very quickly. Um, let's pray real quick before we get started. Father, thanks for the opportunity to gather together this morning. Thank you for the joy of um, being in your word as a community of women. Um, as we study today, I pray that the words of our mouths, both mine here and now and ours in our small group discussion later, and the thoughts and the focus of our hearts will be pleasing to you. Because we love you, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So, as we start this week, I want to take a minute to look back at where we've been through this semester and take stock of where we are right now. If you can, think all the way back into September when Lisa gave us our intro, and she talked about how Romans seems to be um, sectioned off into three parts. The first being answering the question, what is the gospel? Um, and we spent the majority of this semester in that section, Romans 1 through 5. Paul is presenting and defending his thesis of salvation by grace alone received through faith. And then the second section, how does grace change me? And this is the section that we are moving into now. In fact, we started this section last week when Christine covered um, the first portion of Romans chapter 6. And this section that we're in, Paul begins by anticipating some of his listeners' objections or challenges to this idea of um, the gospel of grace. And it really kind of boils down to this, these questions and objections that he's presenting are, if we are saved by grace, then won't this give people license to live however they want to? And Paul's answer is pretty simple. He says, no, because we are not who we once were, grace changes us. So as we move into the second part of chapter 6 today, I want um, to note a couple of things. One, there's a pretty similar structure between the first half of chapter 6 and the second half that we're going to look at today that starts in verse 15. Um, we get a question that Paul asks, um, kind of a rhetorical question. He gives a real basic answer, then he expands on that answer, and then he offers a charge or a challenge to his listeners. Um, and last week, Christine showed us that um, we have died to sin. Sin has no dominion over us. We are now alive to God in Christ and grace has changed us. We are not who we once were, and so we should not behave as we once did. And today, now we're going to move into that second part of chapter 6, and we'll see that Paul's answer to an objection to the gospel of grace is once again, grace changes us. And we'll see that our bottom line challenge, the bottom line charge that Paul has for us today is this, be who you are. So where are we going to go in the rest of our time together today? First, we're going to, um, Paul's going to walk us through a little, a little Q&A. Then he's going to tell us a tale of two masters. 
and then we will take a look at the challenge that he gives us. Okay? All right, let's start with our Q&A. Um, the question that is raised in chapter 6, verse 15 is set up in chapter 6, verse 14, which we in, kind of ended with last week. Um, verse 14, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And so the question that Paul poses in verse 15 is, well, if sin no longer controls us and we're no un longer under the law, we're no longer obligated to obedience for our salvation, then can't I live however I want? Why should I bother being good? Um, and he gives the answer and he says, no, you can't live however you want. Um, reading in verse 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? And this word slave or slavery shows up ten times in these eight verses. And it's this idea of one who wholly gives herself over to another's will. And so we get that idea in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. The English Standard Version says, Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Or the New Living Translation says it this way, For you are a slave to whatever controls you. So we are not our own masters. We all serve someone. And our obedience, how we choose to live, reflects who our master is. And Paul gives us our choices of a master in the rest of verse 16. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. It's an either or. Um, so let's think of it this way. I'm going to say a phrase. I want you to fill in the blank for me. Different as night and day. Great. And those two things are? Thank you. Great. So let's play the opposite game for a minute. If I am on, I am not. If I inhale, then I am not. Right. If I am healthy, then I'm not. If I am dead, I am not. Right. These are absolute opposites. If you are dead, you cannot be alive. If you are exhaling, you cannot be inhaling. If it is day, it is not night. It's the same way with slavery to sin and slavery to God. We can obey sin or we can obey God. They are diametrically opposed. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot be both. You also cannot be neither. Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about um, money and possessions. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And this is true not just of money. This is the example that he used, but it's true of anything. We cannot serve God and be enslaved to anything else. 
So now let's pick up in verse seven, chapter 6, verse 17. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your sla- slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Paul is reminding his believing listeners that, as Christine put it last week, we are under new management. So who we were, we were a slave to sin, and we were born into this slavery as a result of Adam's original disobedience, which we covered in Romans chapter 5. But who are we now? Well, we have died to our sin, and as Jesus talks about in John 3, we are spiritually born again into a new life defined by grace. And this grace is a transforming grace. You'll notice that Paul says that they now wholeheartedly obey the gospel, and now they are slaves to righteous living. Grace changes us. So, now that Paul has reminded us of who we once were and who we are now, he spends the next four verses expounding on this idea by telling us the tale of two masters. And he shows us that our master determines the path we take and the place that we end up. So let's um, look at this real quick. We're going to look at um, slavery to sin. Where does slavery um, to sin take us and where do we end up? In verse um, 20, Paul tells us, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. When we were slaves to sin, we were under no obligation to live righteously. And that sounds great the ability to live however we want, until we reflect on um, where that takes us. Slavery to sin leads us ever deeper into sin. Um, That is in verse 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. Previously, you let your slaves be slaves to impurity and lawless, which led ever deeper into sin. So this is this idea of um, habitual uh, actions, habitual patterns. Tim Keller puts it this way, as we act out a particular purpose, that action shapes our character and will, so it becomes easier to act in that way again. Have you ever told a little white lie? then you have to tell another lie to make sure that you covered that little white lie and then another lie. And suddenly you're, you're telling some probably pretty big whoppers. That's this idea here. Leads us ever deeper into sin. And that results in death. We see that in both verse 16 and verse 21. And this is not just a future death. This is not just um, eternal death after we physically die. This is also a present death. Uh, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, it tells us, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, the list goes on and on. If you want to read the whole thing, you can... Check it out in Galatians. It leads us to a life of despair and fear and resentment and envy and pride and shame. And that list can go on and on too. 
Tim Keller tells us again, anything you worship besides God promises much, but delivers worse than nothing. It is slavery, a constant treadmill of seeking to grasp or keep hold of something which can never really deliver. The only benefit of idolatry is brokenness. Our slavery to sin will only and always end in our destruction. So now what about slavery to righteousness? Well, that leads us to holiness um, or sanctification, depending on which translation that you're reading. And let's take a minute to define what holiness, which sanctification is. What does it mean for us to be holy? What does it mean for us to be sanctified? And it's this idea of being set apart for God. It's an idea of living in a manner that reflects God's character, God's holiness. And who did that perfectly? Jesus. Yeah. So Colossians 3.10 says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Ephesians 4.21-24 through 24, Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about God and his holiness, I don't think about that as a characteristic that I can share. But... um, Paul is telling us in Romans, and actually he pretty explicitly says it, spoil alert, in Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. His son perfectly reflected his father's holiness. So when we think about being sanctified, when we think about becoming holy, we think about becoming more like Jesus. And in these verses that I just read, we, kept, we uh, saw the phrase, be renewed, come up a couple of times. And this implies an ongoing process. It's a path that we walk through our whole life. It's not um, a sudden change. And think about it this way. Again, we saw the language of putting on, this idea of um, removing one set of clothing and putting on another set of clothing. And this is not like social media videos. This is not like where someone jumps or snaps or waves their hand in front of the camera and suddenly they're wearing something new. No, when you change your outfit, you do it step by step. You do it piece by piece and layer by layer. It doesn't happen all at once. Jen Wilkin puts it this way, um, Sanctification is a process of acclimation by which we learn to behave like the children of God and not like the children of wrath. So the path that slavery to righteousness leads us down is this path to sanctification, to holiness. And the result is eternal life. It tells us, Paul tells us this um, in verse 22. In verse 22. Um, But again, just like death, this is not just the eternal life that comes after our physical death. This is also life here and now. Um, The English Standard Version talks about the fruit 
that slavery to sin produces, the fruit that slavery to holiness produces. And there is another place that we see um, talk of the fruit, and that's in Galatians 5, uh, verse 16 and verse 22 through 23. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think a lot of us have heard this verse before. So it produces, slavery to righteousness produces in us a life of seeking the good of others. A life of delighting in God and his salvation. A life of contentment. A life of courage and steadfastness and restraint and abundance and freedom. And I think it's worth noting that in a lot of these verses, the one who is doing the renewing and the sanctifying, the one who is producing the fruit and taking us through this process, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, just like grace, is a free gift from our new master. So Paul wraps up this tale of two masters very succinctly in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Death is what we are owed. Think back to that financial language of Romans 4. Death is what we are owed for our work for master sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the grace. We can never earn life no matter how hard we work. So God is a good and kind master gifting us that which we do not deserve. So now we're going to conclude our time in teaching together this semester with a challenge. And I'm going to read to you, backtrack a little bit, Romans 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. Um, he says you used to let yourselves. In the ESV, it talks about offering your members or in the NIV, offering the parts of your body. And this is the idea of um, every part of you that, as Tim Keller says, can carry out a design or purpose. We are uh, no longer under sin's dominion. It's no longer our master. We are no longer under an obligation to obey it. But this side of heaven, it will always fight for power over us. And we can choose to live as if we are still prisoners. We can permit our sin to have influence over us and lead us ever deeper into lawlessness. Again, it's this idea of our actions becoming habits, becoming our character. But Paul tells us instead we are to give. This is an active action word. We have some agency here. We have a choice. So think of it this way. Think of hiking. Does anybody like to hike? I do. And a lot of times when you're hiking on your trail, you come across an intersecting trail. And you can choose to stay on the trail that you're on and go to your original destination, or you can choose to take the intersecting trail and go somewhere completely different. Sometimes that's fun to do. So think of it this way, that Paul is charging us not to continue on this trail that we are originally on in our slavery to sin. 
Do not passively let yourself keep going. Instead, make a choice to take a hard right. We are charged with actively submitting ourselves, our attitudes, our attentions, our actions, our worship to God. We are charged to live out the righteousness that his spirit produces in our lives. So we go back to our original question. Does the gospel of grace allow us to live us allow us to live however we want? No. Because we are not who we once were. We have been bought with the blood of Jesus. We are dead to sin. We are alive to God. We have a new master. We are our slaves to righteousness. Grace has changed us. So do not offer yourself to sin. Instead, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be who you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that grace changes us. Help us to live into that truth this week and for the rest of our lives. Help us to live in a manner worthy of this gospel that you have given us by the power of the Spirit's work in our hearts and our minds, by the renewal that you bring to us. Be with us in our discussions. Be near to us. Help us to know you are near to us, to sense your presence um, and your pleasure with the way that we interact with each other and the discussions that we have together. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.